How are you? I'm good. And you? Good. I'm just fine. Thank you. So uh, things seem to be uh, heating up in uh, in some obvious ways, and also in some uh, not so obvious ways uh, in the uh, presidential race, if you will. Yes. And. Um. And I, I wanted to drill it uh, into a couple of uh, areas that uh, I find uh, particularly interesting. Uh, one of them is the uh, the polling on the Democratic primary side that is, uh, well, there are two of them that are particularly significant. I think the most significant one is the uh, an early poll in New Hampshire, which is the site of the first uh, primary in February, I believe, 2020. Yes. So uh, basically the, the race is compressed into about eight, an eight-point spread among the top five candidates. Biden, uh, uh, Kamala Harris is number two, uh, I believe uh, Elizabeth Warren is number three. Buttigieg is number four. And uh, uh, and Bernie Sanders, I believe, is number five, or maybe those two are reversed. Uh, you know, I think that that says a lot about uh, the dynamics between Sanders and uh, and Warren, which I think is a very, very significant uh, development. But it also suggests that uh, the Emperor Biden has no clothes. Well, clearly Biden, Biden was terribly wounded in the first debate. Um, and you know the repercussions of that are, are that he's still trying to fight back um, from the way he was uh, hit by Kamala Harris. Uh, put him on, a, on his back foot tremendously. And he spent at least two weeks apologizing. Now he's trying to recover and go back on offensive uh, and counterattack. And we'll see what we'll see what happens at the next debate. But yeah, he, he, he clearly has, uh, has been wounded. So I, I think that that's uh, somehow triggered uh, some of the other things that are going on, namely the attacks uh, by Trump on the so-called, uh, what's the group's name? Well, they call, they're calling themselves the squad now. Right, the squad. And uh, the interactions with uh, Pelosi and uh, the votes that are going on as we talk in the, in the House to... Uh, effectively censor uh, uh, Trump's uh, comments on uh, the squad. Uh, so what apparently apparently seems to have happened is that um, there was some uh, some visual some visible sniping back and forth between Pelosi and the squad, uh, triggered by uh, an interview that was published in a Maureen Dowd column, in which uh, Pelosi said that the squad just had four votes and no support. And uh, then uh, AOC hit back at Pelosi. And I think Trump saw uh, an opportunity to put a wedge into the division in the Democratic caucus. And 
it backfired on him. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. Trump seems to have a pretty good uh, uh, intuition about how to be able to pivot uh, off of uh, weakness or apparent weakness in the Democratic side. But uh, I don't think that uh, what worked for him in winnowing a field of 17 is going to work for him in winnowing a field of 22, which is what the Democrats are doing. I'm not sure that he has any real leverage. Uh, well, and, and it doesn't it doesn't really uh, serve his purpose to winnow the field. The Democrats, it's the Democrats' job to winnow the field. I mean, eventually he's only going to have to face one of them. Right. And, I, and, and the long, you know, the, the, the only reason that winnowing will help him is that the longer we wait to find out who the winner is, uh, the less opportunity the Republicans have to concentrate their fire. But I think that uh, I don't think that it's good for him that he is winnowing the Democratic field. But I think he is. Uh, I think that he's uh, a slave, pardon the expression, to, uh, you know, the, the next tweet. He has right. to he has to say something in order to be able to uh, continue to send endorphins to his base. And uh, it's getting him, I think, it, further into this box of, you know, having a base that, you know, starts at 32% and ends at 46, you know, right at, at the most percent, which if the, if he also simultaneously is activating uh, the Democrats, the Democratic Party and uh, African American vote, uh, he's uh, essentially uh, putting himself outside the ability to be able to win in potentially the key uh, st states that uh, he needs for the Electoral College. I, I hope you're right. I mean, he, you know, he's not only, um, not only activating and unifying the Democratic base, um, he's also having, I think, a bad effect on whatever is left of the swing, marginal, independent, centrist, mildly Republican, suburban women voters who he needs, you know, for, for him to get up to the level that he needs to win, to win, he can't just rely on his rabid base. He's going to, he's going to need to get some, some of the non-racist Republicans to vote for him as well. Um, I, mean, I, I think there's no doubt that the core of his base is uh, fearful white nationalists and racists, but that's not the totality of the people who voted for him. And if the more he defines himself within this, the tight circle of the racist supporters, the less support he's going to have from the people or, who are at his margins. They're going to flip the other way. Well, I think the uh, I think that's right, but I I think that the real game is uh, about voter suppression on the other side. And, yes, uh, I agree was, with that. He was very successful uh, with in in 2016 with that. He was less successful in 2018, and uh, I, I don't I don't think that it's in his interests to define the race this early. But I think that's what he's doing. The uh... The term voter suppression, I think, covers 
two categories of things. Um, one, one of which is hardcore suppression. That is to say, where you make it, you put real obstacles in front of people voting by closing down um, polling places, by uh, challenging people's registration and uh, throwing off people that you think might be voting against you. I mean, that's, that's the hardcore suppression. But the other is the soft suppression, which is really voter discouragement. And, and that's, I think it was voter discouragement more than anything else that flipped the race to him in 2016. Um, and I, I agree with you that I, he's not gonna be as successful at voter discouragement this time. Right, and I think that's a super big deal. And I also think it impacts on Biden's candidacy significantly because uh, Biden has, you know, the excitement that Biden uh, engenders on television is minimal, to be kind about it. (laughs) Yes. So uh, that doesn't mean that you can win with, you know, anybody but Biden, but uh, that that sort of begs the question of what's the dynamic that's going on on the Democratic side uh, leading up to uh, the next debate. And I mean, I honestly don't think that the debates are going to be all that prescriptive at this point, because I think it's already being played out on a day to day basis. Well, I think there, I think there are two sides to the dynamic on the Democratic side. They're like two axes to look at. Uh, one, one axis is uh, strength against Trump. Um, clearly there's a hunger for someone who has the clout and the feistiness and the agility and the uh, ability to just stand up vigorously to the onslaught that people are expecting from Trump. So that's one axis. The other axis is the policy axis. And there is some question as to you know, just how far left the, the Democratic electorate wants to be. It's, it's clearly a spectrum. Um, and Biden represents uh, the best hope for the people on the right side of that spectrum or, or the, you know, in, in the total spectrum, the centrist side of that spectrum. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that would be true if, in fact, he had the uh, instincts to be able to carry that off. But I, that's not clear to me anymore. Well, he seems he seems to be doing it in in terms of his attacks this week on Medicare for all. Uh, he, you know, he wants to defend an expanded version of Obamacare uh, against Bernie, who says, no, we want to replace Obamacare with a single payer pro- uh, program. Yeah, but that so, comes across as, as, you know, a third Obama third term itis, uh, you know, which uh, he's had to actually come out and say, no, it's, it's not an Obama third term. Well, he can, he can say it if he wants to, but well, nobody whether, you know, whether it lands, will, I know, but whether it lands will depend on what kind of policies he puts forward. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if, if he's successful at defining his, um, his health care plan as a vigorous expansion of Obamacare, then it's not Obama's third term. It's Biden's first term building on Obama. It's not going back to Obama. It's, it's building forward from Obama. That's his challenge, is to be able to position himself as building on Obama and taking it forward. And his obstacle 
is that people will see it as, oh, he wants to go back to Obama, and it becomes right. Obama's third term. Right. So right. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know if he can navigate that. I think that uh, you know that calculation that you just mentioned uh, makes what he has to say inauthentic. But I think that they, but I, I think that the debates are uh, one of the places where all of these dynamics and positions uh, play out in a very clear way because you get to see everybody at once and uh, you get to see them under pressure. And that first axis that I talked about, how do you stand up against Trump, really comes into play in the debates. But I think that what uh, people are looking for is how do you stand up against uh, the front runner? I mean, I, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren has effectively neutralized uh, uh, Sanders' uh, appeal. But uh, to me, that's like a little mini base inside the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, she takes from Sanders, but she doesn't uh, rise above that. I think what I, I think what limits Sanders' appeal uh, as much as anything is the uh, is the viciousness of the of the Sanders supporters that have surrounded him. I mean, San, Sanders himself is is not much of an attack dog, but uh, his his staff and his uh, his fans are vicious attack dogs, and they make it very uncomfortable for people. And I think that is something that, that's been limiting Sanders' appeal. Uh, you know, you could be right about that, but I think that the larger uh, issue uh, around the debates uh, as it relates to this second tier, uh, I see... Uh, Elizabeth Warren being locked into a, uh, you know, a zero-sum game with uh, Sanders. And I don't think that's good for either of them. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see some more analysis if her, if her gains are all coming from Sanders or whether they're coming from other, other candidates oh, as who well. Else would, where else would they come from? Well, I don't. See, I don't think if you look at the, at the broad spectrum of voters, that they are all policy wonks and all voting in terms of an, an analysis of what these people are planning to do and how it will affect my life and how it will affect the lives of people important to me. I think a lot of it has to do with a visceral, emotional, kinetic response to people as personalities. I agree. So, uh, you know, when, 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 when you say that, you know, in a policy position, you can look at Warren and Sanders as occupying what they call a lane. They're in that lane. Uh, I don't know how many voters think in terms of lanes. Uh, a lot of it is just visceral. Uh, I like this person. I mean, I respond to this person. This person is talking to me uh, without a whole lot of detailed analysis. Because most people don't pay that close attention. Yeah, but it's, I think that... It's uh, a gestalt and an impression. But, I mean, they, they may not pay... Most people, in as individuals, may not pay that much attention, but as a group, they do. And I think that uh, Sanders and Warren are in a similar group. Uh, and they represent uh, the boundaries that that group suggests. And uh, as a result, I think that she's in a... Uh, 
I mean, that's why I think that the uh, uh, New Hampshire poll is so significant because the 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 strategy on the part of the Republicans or uh, on the part of Trump is to suggest that uh, this is a national campaign and that. Uh, you know, what the Democrats failed to understand in 2016, namely that it's not a popular vote, it's a uh, electoral college vote. Uh, as long as they're comparing the four or five top candidates in the on the Democratic side with uh, Trump uh, at a national level, they're paying attention to exactly what they shouldn't be paying attention to. Uh, whereas I think that the uh, the dynamics of uh, New Hampshire, I mean, good Lord. I mean, New Hampshire is why Lyndon Johnson quit the uh, the race and the White House. Uh, it's why, I mean, it's it's been the fulcrum for, uh, you know, the, the underlying fundamentals that have led to Nixon's election and, you know, on and on and on. So... Uh, this is a huge ball game, and right now, uh, essentially, the the candidates that are bunched at the top are uh, are the ones that are going to lock in uh, with fundraising, as is pretty well established already. Uh, that those top five are the, also the top five fundraising uh, on the Democratic side, and then also the. Uh, these boundaries, uh, what you call lanes, which I certainly agree with that perspective, but I, I also think that it, it's a bit like uh, when you don't know how to bowl, you put up those uh, bumpers on either side, and after a while you get used to them and start to get really good at, at g getting the strike off of the bumper rather than <laughs> down the middle, if you follow what I'm saying. Yes. So uh, I think that these things uh, that have gelled already, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, uh, what's going on with uh, impeachment and Pelosi, because uh, I think that the, the uh, squad uh, took a, a big step at, at pushing uh, impeachment back into the, into the picture. Yes. Um... I, I think that um, you know Pelosi's Pelosi's position clearly is that she needs to provide some protection to people in her caucus who come from districts that oppose impeachment. Um, she doesn't want to push them. She doesn't want to push them too far. I think behind the scenes, uh, when she wants to whip for a position, she is very effective at whipping for a position. And, and in terms of impeachment and there's no I haven't picked up any evidence that she is whipping one way or the other but she is urging caution but day by day more people are stepping up uh, I think another another two uh, representatives today came out in favor of impeachment um, you know Pelosi is the leader of the caucus but in, on this she's playing the game of the follower of the caucus and I think that you're right that uh, impeachment becomes more and more of an issue. And it wasn't just the squad that pushed it forward. I think it's Trump that pushed it forward. Um, 
you know, the issues of, uh, of collusion and obstruction of justice seem a little abstract. The, the issues of Trump's racism and the, the treatment of detainees at the border seem very vivid. And, and the issue of Trump's Twitter streams seems just mercilessly oppressive to so many people. Uh, a lot of people just want him to go away. Right, I think that that might add up, but I think that counterintuitively uh, to some, uh, what's happening with uh, the squad has elevated not just the possibility of impeachment, but the possibility of impeachment on a timetable that's more favorable to the Democrats. Yes. Uh, so, yes. you know, in effect, uh, Pelosi is has some advocates and allies in the squad, uh, you know, that she's potentially uh, using to uh, be able to move. I mean, I think it's a profoundly anti-Biden uh, thing that's going on because uh, Biden is going to position himself, he already is, uh, there's a headline on the screen right now. The squad doesn't represent majority of elected Democrats. Well, it may not be a majority, but if it becomes a significant minority, it's going to have a big effect on the Democratic Party. Well, it, it definitely will. The dynamics of this will play out uh, in, in a way that determines the future of the 2020 election. Um, but it's hard for me to see exactly how that works. Um, you know, the uh, Trump managed at least temporarily to unify the Democrats, but the tensions are still there. The tensions will remain uh, when this immediate tweet storm subsides. The tensions will still be there. Well, speak to those tensions because uh, you know I I recognize that there's this problem of. Uh, you know, the, the buzzwords around uh, Medicare for all and, and so on. But if that kind of energy, if they can get through the primaries to the point where they are running in a general election, then all of a sudden uh, the inability of uh, the Senate to be able to pass any meaningful uh, health care uh, policy is really going to hurt the, the Republicans. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, 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 I am cautiously, provisionally optimistic that a campaign against the Republican Senate will be successful. Um, yeah, I don't share that, but uh, uh, I think that uh, I think that was uh, I didn't I was hopeful, but not optimistic about the house flipping. So I, <laughs> you know, who, who am I uh, to say that you're wrong? I just, uh, the adjectives you use, cautious, uh, whatever, uh, I'd be more than cautious. I'd be cautiously pessimistic. Well, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's very much an uphill climb uh, just because of the structural way that we have the Senate uh, you know, two, two representatives from each state and half the states being just mainly rocks and rednecks. 
not many people in there. So they get two senators anyway. Yeah, but that's the, uh, you know, the uh, a- anxiety over the uh, Electoral College, which I don't necessarily share. Well, it's similar to the uh, Electoral College, yes. Um, but in the Electoral College, there's still some, uh, although it's not mathematically proportionate, there is some proportionality. So California gets 55 votes and Montana gets three votes. I mean, there's, but in the Senate, it's two, 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 wherever you go. And, and so that's quite a bit different. You know, in, 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 in fact, you know, the, uh, to carry the Electoral College, you need to get the big states and the moderately big states. Hmm. But, you know, that does turn into, uh, uh, you know, uh, a thing, a, a pattern. And the, it's, it's in those trenches that the uh, election is fought and won. Yeah, the states that are called the swing states. And those are the ones, you know, of some size, like Ohio and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, I mean, that, that one of the reasons I think that the uh, Electoral College distorts everything is that there are some states that are just not in contest. So they get no attention. There are some states that have very few votes, so they get no attention. And then there are other states that have a fairly even balance between Republicans and Democrats, have uh, a substantial number of electoral votes, and it, where it's possible to flip them, either red or blue. And those get all the attention. But, you know, what's, what's wrong with that? I, I, I think it, 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 distorts, um, it distorts the value of an individual vote. So it, it doesn't matter how many extra votes you get in California. You're not going to get more than 55 electoral votes. If you win California by one vote or by, as, as uh, Clinton did, by 3 million votes, you still just get the 55. Uh, you, you, you find people in solid blue and solid red states saying, why should I even show up? Why, you know, my vote's not going to matter. The, the, the odds of flipping that state are so low that it devalues the value of, an, of, a, of a person's individual vote. Whereas if you live in Ohio or you live in Wisconsin, your vote is very powerful because you know, you flipping from one side to the other can actually flip the whole state. In, in California, flipping from one side to the other probably isn't going to do anything. Right. So you, uh, it becomes a media battle, and, uh, and that's appropriate in an age where... I mean, I never have understood why people don't realize that the popular vote mechanism... Uh, is probably responsible for Trump's uh, uh, squeaking in because everybody knows who he is uh, because of the media side of things. Yes. I, I, so, what does it have to do with the popular vote? Well, I, I just think that that's, uh, you know, if, if people were successful at uh, getting uh, the Electoral College changed out for a popular vote mechanism, I think it will be even worse than it is right now. 
I'm not sure I know why. Because uh, it, it would it comes down to these uh, uh, you know reality TV show hosts uh, running for president, basically. Um, it, it, it's how yeah, but how how did how did Clinton beat Trump by practically her entire margin was in the California state margin. Clinton's I, entire natu- national margin was in California. I understand that, but you know what I'm saying is, is that uh, to me it was a sign of uh, Hillary Clinton's arrogance that uh, and continues to be uh, by the people that were high in her high up in her campaign. Uh, the, the, they say that she won the popular vote. What's the point? What are you trying to say? She she lost the vote that mattered. Yes. Right. So uh, to me, there's a but if we institutionalized the notion of uh, the kind of success that I mean, I think Trump has actually said as much. And unfortunately, I think he's right about this. Uh, if the game was something else, who's to say that he wouldn't have won? that other game yeah his, his claim is that if it, if it had been a popular vote contest he would have campaigned differently yes and i uh, i i think it's easy for him to say that's one of those uh good sales pitches that uh has the virtue of sounding true but in, in reality isn't but nonetheless uh, well we don't we don't know that but we do know that uh his campaign was uh, singularly and effectively focused on the states that they analyzed would be uh, a path to victory. And, well, I mean, um, I think it, you know anybody who thinks that the Democrats are going to win Florida is, you know, they're ignoring reality. Uh, but uh, you know, Tom, Tom Steyer could could win Florida. For the Democrats, how's that? By taking away votes from uh, no, Trump? no, by by taking all the money that he wants to invest in running, and paying off the debts of the ex felons who are being prevented from voting because they have <laughs> fines. Uh, you know, <laughs> you you think that that would be a net positive? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, they might they might win Florida and then lose. Uh, across the country with the idea that, you know, the Democratic elites uh, are fixing the election. I mean, God. Well, it was, you know, it was the Florida electorate that voted to have ex-cons have their voting rights restored. And the Republicans in Florida said, okay, yeah, but we, we'll, we'll, we'll do it when all of their uh, fines have been paid. So they basically the Florida Republicans stymied uh, a statewide referendum, and if you if you just paid off those fines, then you'd have all those voters. Well, you know this this reminds me of the uh, uh, the the tragic uh, end to Mad Magazine. Uh, you know, I loved Mad Magazine, and what I loved about it most was is that it just created this uh, insanely stupid uh, 
and funny world uh, out of whole cloth that had as much impact on my 12-year-old brain as anything. And, you know, so the... I mean, I think it's a great idea, uh, your, your, your conceit there, but I also think that it would have... It, it will never happen. No, it won't. It won't because, you know, Tom Steyer's ego is invested in running for president. I guess. I don't know what Tom Steiner's uh, all about. All I know is, is that he's going to get ground down by the uh, same things that uh, ground uh, Ross Perot down. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't expect him to make much headway, any headway at all. Um, but he is going to burn a lot of money in uh, television and Internet advertising. Yeah, but so what? Well, I don't know. We could use that money for something useful. You mean uh, like... <laughs> okay. Like winning Florida. I, I don't think that the Democrats are going to win Florida, number one, unless this is a true change election, in which in case, uh, I, I just don't see it happening. But, but I, what I do see happening is this uh, coalition of the outraged uh, on the left, uh, you know, syncing up with uh, uh, what I think you've defined as the absolute uh, fatigue of dealing with this guy uh, uh, tweeting from the White House. Yeah, I mean, because his tweets are rarely about anything. His tweets are just about annoying people. He's, he's, not, he's not trying to accomplish any useful purpose. He's only trying to uh, stir up a population to vote for him. He's got no real agenda. Well, he has a, uh, his agenda is to win renomination so that he yeah. can... Uh, you know, get past the statute of limitations on his uh, on things. That yeah, he I, yes, already... he, has a per, he has a personal agenda, but, but he doesn't have a real agenda to accomplish in the world except making money and making money for people he likes. Yeah, although I can't, it's hard to tell who other than his family he likes. Well, all right, so uh, speed round, and then we're out of this. Okay. Uh, uh, it's flash forward to uh, what do you think the impact of the uh, Mueller uh, uh, con conversation will be next week? Um, it well, it, it it will focus attention on the crimes of Donald Trump. Uh, it's it's not going to persuade his base. Obviously, it's not going to persuade the circles that support him namely Fox News and the rest of right-wing media. It's not going to persuade his base, but there is that marginal group, you know, at the, at the fringe that are not personally committed to Donald Trump as our Lord and Savior. Um, uh, I, I think it, could, it will have an impact on them. I, you know, unfortunately, in, in the big picture, uh, Trump and uh, Barr succeeded in putting a box around the Mueller report. I think the television testimony can tear that box down a little bit. A little bit. What about the impact on uh, the squad? 
the impact of what on the squad? Uh, the Mueller uh, hearings. Uh, I don't. I don't think it'll affect them in any major way. Uh, I'll, I'll bet it'll. I'll bet it will. Unless I, I haven't been paying close enough attention, unless any of them get to question Mueller, in which case they'll they'll get some kick out of it. Uh, Kamala well, Harris will get to question question Mueller, and that'll be good for her. You know, I don't. Um, I I'm think, not so uh, sure that'll be good for her because uh, you know he's a tough customer. Uh, he's not going to say much. But the reason I mentioned the squad is because, you know, two out of the four basically came out for, uh, you know, now we got to impeach this guy because he's yeah. way out of control. Yeah. And uh, so I think that they can link up uh, with uh, the new middle of the Democratic Party uh, if that's, in fact, what's going on here. I think if Biden is hurt by the uh, uh, his inability to be able to make the case that this is not a change election except to change out Trump. Uh, I, I think that he's in trouble. And yeah. if he's in trouble, uh, the, the fight over the soul of the Democratic Party, I think, is overstated. I think that uh, uh, a lot of people will wash into uh, you know, uh, uh, a general election vote against uh, Trump based on, uh, you know, you know, absorbing the energy of the squad base and decorating it with some of the success in, you know, getting indictments and, and, uh, subpoenas against these people and and you know basically as uh, I think Dennis Pombriant suggests uh, getting past uh, uh, the end of the summer uh, in order to then develop uh, uh, an impeachment vote you know an impeachment inquiry vote basically there, there is a, um, a a congressional what do they call it a hiatus I mean they, they, they go into recess pretty much at the end of this month for August. Mm -hmm. But it will, it will be interesting to see if Mueller's testimony kicks any House Democrats over into the impeachment column who aren't there now. Yeah. They, it, maybe you know, maybe they'll have to go back home to their districts to get some input from their constituents for that. But it'll be interesting to see if any more come over. So I think the... Uh, uh, so then that... Who's going to be, what's the state of the, after the September uh, debates? Uh, who's, what's the shape of the uh, Democratic race going to be? I think we're going to see a dramatic winnowing of the Democratic field because mm -hmm. the people at the, at the bottom half are not making their fundraising goals. They're not making their polling goals. Right. So they don't get to come on stage. So, I don't know what the number is that will be on stage. It's certainly not going to be 20. It's, uh, it's going to be something, maybe 10, maybe 12. I don't know. Uh, but the, the race comes into much sharper focus beginning in September. Right. Well, I think that's already true. I think that there's this top five, and then there are probably three or four that are going to have an impact 
through the force of their uh, agenda and who they represent in terms of this uh, political cross-section of the Democratic Party that are going to have an effect on the top tier. But I think that's already pretty well formed. You know, I mean, there, there are people who have, uh, who have made an impression and who have uh, focused on certain issues that just have not caught on, but they haven't dropped out yet. I'm thinking of people like Governor Inslee, who is pushing climate change as his key issue. And, but that's uh, going to have to be adopted by uh, one of the more successful uh, well, uh, in, in top fact, tier it, candidates. In fact, it has been adopted by most of the top tier candidates. So, um, you know, the, the unique value of having him advocating everything as a subset of climate change disappears because, in, in a sense, he's won in the same way that Bernie has won. Bernie has moved everybody over to his position. Mm-hmm. So now you don't need Bernie. I agree. The same thing with Inslee. Inslee moves everyone over to his position. Now you don't need Inslee. And there are others like uh, uh, the, uh, I forget what his uh, name is, but he seems to be sort of middle of the road, uh, smart. Uh, that applies to a lot of them. There's Cory yeah. Booker. Uh, I, I don't think Cory Booker has a lot of. I think Cory Booker is being bookended by uh, the, the, you know, by uh, Kamala Harris mostly. Uh-huh. And, and there's uh, Julian think... Castro. He's uh, he has he has not caught on in the polls, uh, but he made a huge impression at the debate. Yeah, he did a good job, but uh, to what end? Uh, I think that you know he. Uh, impacts on that middle upper tier. So uh, I would say that Buttigieg has got uh, some interesting dynamics there because he's raised the most money of all of them. Uh, he's also uh, about as good on his feet as any of the lower candidates. He's much uh, faster than uh, Beta O'Rourke or any of those uh, folks. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I really think that uh, it's uh, Biden's race to lose, and he's going to do that. He's going to lose it. So the question is, is uh, who's going to win it? And uh, I'd say Kamala Harris. Uh, I think Warren's got a chance, but I think that if Warren wins it, uh, they'll lose the election. So. Um. I, 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 uh, I don't know about that, but I, I think uh, at this point, it's Harris and Warren who are most likely going to win. And one of, the, one of them, if they don't win, is certainly going to be Biden's running mate, I would think. Yeah, I, I think he should. I think he's already proven that he's a great vice president. He should do that again. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Any, any last thoughts? No. And I don't. I don't mean that in uh, any other than this I, call. I understand. I understand. No, no. I'm sure there will be there will be new thoughts again. But what it was what's bothering me now is that there aren't as many new thoughts as I'd like. Uh, it all seems so repetitive at this point. The same things keep happening, and the responses the same responses keep happening to the same things. 
Yeah, but I think that plays against uh, uh, the, the fundamental dynamics of uh, people that uh, have been in charge for a while now. I will, I will hope you're right. Okay. Uh, Michael Markman, thank you very much for your help. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.